you got authorization from Aunt Jenny? <laughs> 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 This is Movie Bite, episode 69. Movie Bite is a show where we discuss, praise, lament, or lampoon movies, trailers, TV shows, and more. We're recording on Friday, November 22nd, 2013. I'm your host, TJ, and I'm joined tonight not by a few good men, but by the best man, Chad Hopkins. Oh, thanks, TJ. How are I'm you, glad Chad? to be here. Oh, good. I'm doing all right. All right, well, we have uh, probably not going to be a long podcast today. How... Uh, uh, it's been a long week, and uh, we we really wanted to see the Book Thief. Uh, I think both of us want to see that film, and frustratingly, yes. it's not available anywhere near either of us. Just frustrating. Uh, no, it wasn't. At least I don't know. I think is it is it wide release now? I'm not sure. I should double check. Um, I'll I'll do that while we're on the uh, we're talking here. Uh, let's see. So the Book Thief. I cannot do two things at once. I'm terrible at it. <laughs> Uh, so release date November fifteenth. That's all. Fandango says. I wish it were easier to find out information on uh, wide releases versus. Uh, yeah, sorry, this movie is not currently playing in your location. Yeah, it doesn't even say send me an email when it is available. Normally, Fandango will say send me an email. Oh wait, I'm using a different browser. I'm not logged in. That's the problem. So yeah, it's really frustrating. But uh, you know, and and so we're we're scrambling. We're chatting back and forth, going uh. You know, no, even even in my account, it's not showing me send an email. That's really odd. So we're scrambling back and forth trying to figure out what we're going to talk about this week. And so I threw out, hey, let's let's talk about a few good men because you know it's a film that I like, and you know it shouldn't take us too long to talk about it. I mean, it's a really good film, but I don't know that there's a lot to say. And it's not like a hot new release that we're going to spend a lot of time talking about. So, right. Uh, the, the new release that we're both excited, I'm excited about, is Catching Fire, and we haven't nailed down when we're going to record that yet. But nope, but I have already seen it. So oh, don't don't tell me anything about it. Just don't say a word. I don't, okay, yeah. not 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 even that it's awesome. No, I don't want to hear it. Don't want to hear. It. I want to okay, make. My, I, I want to make. Not... I want to make my own <laughs> judgments of opinion about films, Chad. That's what I want to. That's do. fair. Yeah, that's fair. No, I'm I'm expecting it to be awesome, and that's fine that you say that it's awesome. That you didn't say that you were asking whether you should say it's awesome. That's fine. Ah, <laughs> uh, man. All right. Well, um, before we dive in, though, to A Few Good Men, this seems, this seems like a good uh, episode, since we don't expect to take too long talking about it, to talk about just a couple of little things. And uh, the first one here is something that is just funny and ironic and i'm kind of happy about i mean it's it's kind of bad that i'm happy about it but it, at the same time it's like well you know i told you um and this is my article uh posted yesterday mpaa is losing money by fighting piracy this is according to david lieberman over at deadline.com i mentioned this on the wrap but we can spend a little more time talking about it here uh, MPAA's anti-piracy fight contributed to financial loss in 2012, while Chris Dodd collected $3.3 million. The Hollywood's lobby group's finances took a hit in 2012, a tax filing shows, but CEO Chris Dodd did just fine, even as the MPAA licked its wounds from its failed effort to promote tough anti-piracy legislation. Dodd's compensation came to $3.3 million last year. The package, three million base compensation, that uh, goes into breaks down how it got three point three million. Uh, but uh, da, 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 da. Uh, let's see, the MPA saw its first year in loss increase nearly five hundred eighty-seven percent to one point seven million on revenues of sixty-eight point one million. Although the top line was plus twelve percent, mostly for members increased dues payments, it was more than offset by a fourteen percent increase in expenses. And this, he goes on to, to show that this is uh, because they were spending so much money fighting or, or, or you, you know, br trying to get legislation enacted and trying to fight piracy. And right. it, it, it's, it's like, Chad, it's like, what are you guys doing? Instead of, instead of providing and making it easier, uh, let me provide you a really, really good example. Um, you're an iPhone user, and I imagine there, if even if people in our audience haven't don't use an iPhone, they're familiar with the iPhone, and they're probably familiar with the concept called jailbreaking. Have you ever jailbroken right. your iPhone? Once. Yeah, I used to jailbreak all the time, and and here's the thing: Apple was kind of dragging their feet on some things, and jailbreaking would allow you to experience, you know, install third-party apps that Apple wouldn't allow, system hacks and things. Over the years, Apple has refined iOS to the point where it's not necessary. Do you feel the need to jailbreak? 
No, not anymore. Not at all. And I don't either. I haven't jailbroken. Hmm. What was the last? I think the last system I jailbroke was iOS four. And you could argue that iOS five I could have jailbroken, and there were some things that I missed. But right now, right now, I cannot think of a single thing in iOS seven that's missing that I would want to jailbreak for. And this is kind of what I feel like is going on with the studios and the providers of media is they're so busy fighting the thing that everybody wants that they're not providing a way in which they could monetize it and make money from it and make their customers happy. And so I'm not advocating turning to piracy, but people turn to piracy because it's a way for them to get the the media in the format that they want. Right. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that piracy is probably even more widespread I'm not asking you, Chad, if you pirate, and I'm not going to say whether I've ever pirated anything. (laughs) But sometimes you're like, I cannot get this thing that I want, and I would gladly pay money for it, but they have not made it available. Right. Case in point, um, and this is not maybe necessarily a movie, but this is a TV show that I love. Uh, It's on the USA Network, which they don't don't make their – uh, media available on uh, Hulu for streaming where they could monetize it with ads, but they don't. They well, Okay, they do the last five episodes only on a computer. You may not watch it on your Apple TV or on your Roku or on any TV-connected device. It's really stupid. And, right. and so I have to wait for it to come to Netflix because I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to go get a cable subscription to subscribe to USA Network. I'm not going to take, I'm not going to go back and sit at my desk when my wife and I both want to watch Burn Notice on USA Network. And we can't because we don't have a cable subscription. I'm not going to go pay extra money for it. So what do you think? What do you got to say? Yeah, I mean, it's just a matter of availability. If if, uh, these people really want to make money, then what they need to do is they need to make it a lot more available to their customers, maybe a little bit cheaper, uh, make it easier for them to download uh, legally um, so that they don't have to turn to illegal forms of downloading and i th- i think that's just the issue here and they, they they've just gone too far to try and combat this uh to where i mean it's just become not ne- not necessarily fruitless but it's just a thorn in their side yeah i would say fruitless i i would say here's the thing by fighting piracy in the manner in which they are they're never going to stop the real pirates they're only going to make things inconvenient for their customers and they're going to lose money in the process you have to understand the cat's out of the bag. We're in the digital age. You're not ever, ever going to stop piracy from people who want to break the law and from people who want to pirate things. But you can stop people who are on the fence and who like, well, I just really want to watch this thing and I would gladly give you money, but you don't make it available to me in a, in a format that I can easily digest. And it's just easier for me to go. I, I mean, honestly, if one were to say go to the piratebay.sx uh, and and type <laughs> and type in uh, uh, a few good men, uh, they would probably find easily a way to download that. Right. <laughs> That's all since, I'm saying. <laughs> since the only way it's available online right now is on iTunes for ten bucks. Right. <laughs> uh, I, and, and and here's the thing. I did not download it illegally. I might have checked just as a demonstration of what we're talking about here. <laughs> it's and, and there were quite a number of cedars uh, available to get that thing in short order. Uh, yes. And for you, the record, so watch this movie. I downloaded it on iTunes after purchasing it. <laughs> you, you, so you, you, you purchased it through iTunes. I did. Good. Very good. I actually already had it on DVD, so that's how I watched it, uh, which is sad. I wish I wish I had it on Blu-ray or something, but that's uh, the way I, I've had it for years. It's such a great movie. So the the point I think here is that instead of instead of spending money fighting piracy, enacting legislation, because we all know legislation is the answer to every problem, right? If we just oh, had definitely, if it was just illegal, if it was just illegal to steal movies, man, oh wait. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Oh, it's just, just frustrating. Just stop it already. Just stop it. Just go, you know, do find a way to monetize and, and find a way to make it easier for customers. That's all we want. For sure. Yeah. So it's a little bit of a soapbox for me. It's like, you know, stop it. Yeah, we've talked a lot about it on, on this show about how the digital availability is a big deal, uh, especially for like TV shows. Um, 
when, when you don't exactly have the time to make sure you tune in every week to uh, make sure you catch uh, your favorite TV show at a certain time on a certain network. Um, and I think that's the same instance here with movies. You just have to, the, the studios have to realize that it is a digital movement that we're in right now and that it's not going to stop. And to make it more available is that's how you're going to stop piracy. Yeah, I agree. And not I'm, to not by combating people who are pirating, but by making it uh, less of a need to pirate. Absolutely. And I'm not advocating uh, that. Like, if I were running a studio, I would make it easily make my stuff easily available digitally. Uh, but, but I'm not. I wouldn't be like, oh, let's just do away with the theater model because I love the theater experience. I might make movies a little bit more available sooner after they get out of the theaters. Uh, you know, but. Come on. I mean, things are so hard. I mean, you got some studios that they don't make their content available on iTunes, but they make it available over on this service, and some make it available over here, and some make it available over here. They don't make it easy, and that's that's the real problem. Right. You know? And, and you know, here's the thing. We are seeing a slow progress here. Even though they're fighting and being drugged, kicking and screaming into the future, we're seeing slow progress here. Uh, the, things are better. I, much as I complain, things are better than they've ever been. I'm I'm able to watch... Eighty-five to ninety percent of what I want easily enough, even if I have to spend a little more than I want sometimes. And I, even if I'm subscribed to three different services, well, I'm subscribed to two, and then I have a third option, which is to buy it on iTunes. Uh, You know, I'm subscribed to uh, Netflix. No, I'm subscribed to three: Netflix, uh, Hulu Plus, and uh, Amazon. You know, Uh so you know, it's it's still easier than it's ever been, and I'm still spending less money than if I had a full cable package. So, or or ultimately, I am right. So, anywho, and it's really not about the spending of the money. I, I need to move on from this, but I keep thinking of things I want to say. <laughs> it's not about the spending more money. You know, it, it, even if it was more expensive, this is the way I want to watch my media. You know, I want it to be available on demand when I want to sit down and watch it. So, I mean, like right now, I'm behind on. I just sat down last night finally and had time to watch the latest episode of Shield, which was excellent, by the way. People, the naysayers, they need to get a life. Um, so that was excellent, but I'm behind on revolution, which I like as well. And, uh, I'll, I'll, hopefully I'll watch that tonight. So, and I love that it's available via Hulu on my Apple TV. I'll just go, I will literally go in, sit down, click uh, two buttons on my remote, you know, one, two, three, actually it's about four clicks and I'm watching <laughs> and I'm watching. So that's what, that's what I want. All right. Shall we talk about star Wars? Let's talk about star Wars. What's going By on all here? Means. What's going on here with star Wars? Um, well, Samuel Jackson in a recent interview revealed that neither Mark Hamill, who played Luke Skywalker in the original trilogy, nor Ewan McGregor, who played um, Obi-Wan Kenobi in the new trilogy. The, the trilogy been, that shall not be named. Yes, that one. <laughs> uh, have been contacted for Star Wars Episode Seven. Um, so the question is, is this truth? Is it clever word disguising, or is it just flat-out lying a la Star Trek Into Darkness? I mean, that's the question, isn't it? it, it really... Yes, I mean, this is J.J. Abrams we're talking about, after all. Right. I mean, it's not like people haven't been contractually obligated to lie before it right. with a J.J. Abrams production. I, and yeah. I find it really odd. Like, okay, so I don't find it odd, obviously, that Samuel L. Jackson's not going to be in the film, as far as we know. And, and there was a little bit of a thing in the comments about this. Uh where they're like, oh, go read a book, you know, you need to, you need to read more books and stop <laughs> rotting your brain with TV. Well, first of all, this is a film franchise. The books typically are not really considered canon. Um, right. You know, George Lucas has said as much. Um, and, and second of all, as far as, you know, he talks about how well in the books, Mace Windu is not really dead. Well, that doesn't work for me because that really kind of blows the whole original trilogy. Like, if Mace Windu was alive and living somewhere, then Luke Skywalker wasn't the only hope. What are we talking about here? Right. So that doesn't really work for me. So as far as I'm concerned and as far as we know, in the film universe, Mace Windu is dead dead. Right? Right. And so it doesn't surprise me, of course. He's, he, he, was, he was being funny. He wasn't really expecting to be in the film. But he's like, yeah, you know, I should go out, you know, audition or whatever. Ian McGregor <laughs> also doesn't really surprise me that he hasn't been contacted. Anytime no. we've seen Force Ghost Obi-Wan, he's been older Obi-Wan. So it'd be right. weird for Ewan McGregor to do that portrayal unless they doctored him up to look older. Even still, I think it'd be weird. It would be weird. But the only problem is Alec Guinness, who played Obi-Wan in the original trilogy, is dead. I'd, yeah, I'd be happy if Obi-Wan's not in it at all. Yeah. I yeah, think that, that would I mean, be the most respectful thing to do. I think so. 
So then this does, this is a little interesting though. Mark Hamill hasn't been contacted. At least that's what he says. That's what he told Samuel L. Jackson. Right. And that's a little more concerning to me, actually, and surprising. Like, I think we all expected Luke Skywalker to be in a post-Return of the Jedi world. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? You know, I expect him to be there, whether whether he's been contacted or not. And maybe that's just, um, maybe this is just speaking as to how minimal the Luke Skywalker role will be in this film, which I think could be a good thing. Um, eh, maybe it, it's important to move on a little bit. I, I do want appearances for sure, but um, I would not be too upset if Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker, just sort of briefly locks in for a brief cameo. Hello, I'm still alive. Remember me? I was in those films back in the seventies and eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, let's move on. Yeah. I mean, you know, <sighs> We're pretty sure that uh, Harrison Ford is in the film, as right. uh, obviously, and I think I think we're sure. I'm trying to remember. I think we're sure that uh, Carrie Fisher is in the film. So obviously, it's going to have something to do with Han and Leia. So it would just seem weird, unless for some reason, like they're going to try to say that Luke Skywalker died at some point, like they got killed or something, which I can't imagine. No. So that would seem weird. So it would just seem weird if he wasn't in the film at all. And it's going to seem weird if Han and Leia are heavily involved. And Chewie, we already know that he's going to be reprising his role. But Luke Skywalker's not. That's just a little odd to me. And it, it very could very well be they're just trying to stir up this controversy and the speculation. Beforehand, there has been speculation uh, right. amongst the fans that, well, maybe he'll be more heavily featured in the next film of the coming trilogy. But this film, he's just in the background a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that can make sense. But I, I mean, I still at this point, we're more than two years away from the release of the film. Um, so I, I think at this point in the process, him not having been contacted is not a huge concern of mine. Yeah. But you say that like two years is a long time. And when you're making oh, a film, well, trust no. me, it's not. They need to start shooting like ASAP. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I'm not saying that at all. But so, yeah, I it's mean, just, I'm not too concerned about it at this point. Yeah, I'm not really either. It's just it's just a little like on the fringe. It's like, oh man, I was I was hoping to see Luke Skywalker again, you know? Right. Even though sometimes it's like, man, what a whiny little boy he is. <laughs> <laughs> He's grown up a, a, quite a bit since then. <laughs> yes, yes, this is true. So, um, yeah, you know, still looking forward to it. There's been a little bit of other concerns with you know changing writer hand, writing changing hands and, and stuff like that. But you know, we're still a long ways out, so we'll see. It's I'm still expecting to like it better than the uh, trilogy that doesn't exist. Yeah, I still have high hopes. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see, and hopefully Abrams can keep his propensity for lens flares out of this one. Do you think? He yeah, can? Do you hopefully. think? Do you think he can? I don't know. I, I don't think, think so. he can. I mean- He's acknowledged in an interview now how bad it was in Star Trek, so maybe he'll tone it down just a little bit. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not holding my breath though. <laughs> yeah, he talked Fair about enough. it was so bad in Star Trek that he, even he in post production was like, "ILM, can you help us out a little? Can somehow we get this?" <laughs> and, and you're like, "You've got to be kidding! You're an idiot!" <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, all right, good stuff. Well, let's uh, let's dive into our review of a few good men, shall we? Let's do it. So this film, uh, and, and, and it's funny, Fizz uh, mentioned in our Trello uh, board for uh, scheduling the podcast, he's like, this is kind of out of the blue. And yeah, it kind of is. I've already kind of explained why we did it, but it is kind of out of the blue. I mean, I feel like I've always wanted to focus on a mix of new and older films. And so this is kind of getting back to that a little bit. And I don't know how often we'll do this, but it's just fun to talk about because I really love this film. It came out on December 11th, 1992. It had a budget of $40 million. It grossed total worldwide $243.2 million. It was directed by Rob Reiner, who also directed This is Spinal Tap and The Princess Bride, and written by Aaron Sorkin, who is well-known for his work on The West Wing, but also he wrote The Social Network Moneyball and an untitled Steve Jobs project. I didn't even know this. You put this in the outline, Chad. I did. Uh, it, this is adapted from the Isaacson's bi- biography, which eh, eh, this is not the time and place to talk about that. <laughs> uh, it does star Tom Cruise as Lieutenant Daniel Caffey. He uh, has, of course, been known for his work on uh, Mission Impossible. More recently, he played in Oblivion, Jack Reacher, one of my all-time favorite films, uh, Minority Report, and my one of my least favorite films in the universe, Top Gun. Uh, <laughs> I have seen every single one of these, so that's interesting. Um have you seen a lot of Tom Cruise, uh, Tom Cruise films? You know, my first Tom Cruise film was Mission Impossible 4. 
uh, Ghost Protocol. You didn't see the and previous beforehand? I own them. I have not watched them yet. Um, but my first introduction to the Mission Impossible universe was Ghost Protocol. Okay. I, I'm having a t- kind of a memory recall. Have we talked about this before? We might have briefly mentioned it. Your homework, should you choose to accept it, is to go back and watch the first Mission Impossible. It is by far and away the best Mission Impossible that has ever been made. What okay. was it, 1995, I think? Somewhere close to then. Yeah. that that I mean, Mission Impossible has never been – the films have never been bad, but certainly my favorite is that first film. Yeah. Well, I loved Ghost Protocol, and so I'm certainly not against watching the first three. I just have to get around to it. Yeah, I mean, I, Ghost Protocol, yeah, it was fine. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, oh, oh, I was derailed. Also starring Jack Nicholson uh, as Colonel Nathan R. Jessup. He's known for his role of Joker and Batman and for The Shining, neither which of which films I have seen yet, which are both on my list to see. You're typing something in the outline as we uh, – One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yes, he won Best Actor for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Wasn't Christopher Lloyd in that? He was. That was Christopher Lloyd's first film. Interesting. Okay. Also starring Demi Moore as Lieutenant Commander Joanne Galloway. Uh, you say she's been in Ghost. I have never seen another Demi Moore film. That's the only other Demi Moore film I've seen. Okay. Starring uh, also Kevin Bacon as Captain Jack Ross. He played recently in R.I.P.D., X-Men First Class. And one of my favorite films that I have not seen in a long time reminded me I need to see it again is The Air up there. I Now, I, I say it was a, a good film. This was from when I – last time I saw it, it was probably nine, and I liked it then. So we'll see. Uh-huh. I need to see it again. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland uh, as Lieutenant Jonathan Kendrick. He's known, of course, for 24 uh, Kevin Polak as Lieutenant Sam Weinberg, Wolfgang Bodison as Lance Corporal Harold W. Dawson, James Marshall as Private First Class Loudon Downey, J.T. Walsh as Lieutenant Com- uh, Colonel Mar- uh, Matthew Andrew Markinson, and Christopher Guest as Dr. Stone. He's known for his work in The Princess Bride, uh, Night at the Museum 2. He played Ivan the Terrible. Uh, do you know who he, you've seen The Princess Bride? Surely you have. I have. Yes, of, of course. He was I've the, read the book. Yeah. He's great. Okay, you're ahead of me then. Uh, he, yes. he was the uh, six-fingered guy. Yes, Count Rugen. Yes, there you go. Uh, tell us a little bit about this story, if you would. Okay. In this military courtroom drama based on the play by Aaron Sorkin, Navy lawyer Lieutenant Daniel Caffey is assigned to defend two Marines, Private First Class Loudon Downey and Lance Corporal Harold Dawson, who are accused of the murder of fellow Marine Private First Class William Santiago at the U.S. Navy base at Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. Caffey generally plea bargains for his clients rather than bring them to trial, which is probably why he was assigned to this potentially embarrassing case. But when Lieutenant Commander Joanne Galloway is assigned to assist Caffey, she is convinced that there's more to the matter than they've been led to believe and convinces her colleague that the case should go to court. Under questioning, Downey and Dawson reveal that Santiago died in the midst of a hazing ritual known as Code Red after he threatened to inform higher authorities that Dawson opened fire on a Cuban watchtower. They also state that the Code Red was performed under the orders of Lieutenant Jonathan Kendrick. Kendrick's superior, tough-as-nails Colonel Nathan Jessup, denies any knowledge of the order to torture Santiago. But when Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Markinson confides to Caffey that Jessup demanded the Code Red for violating his order of silence, Caffey and Galloway have to find a way to prove this in court. A Few Good Men also features Kevin Bacon as prosecuting attorney Captain Jack Ross and Kevin Pollock as Caffey and Galloway's research assistant, Lieutenant Sam Weinberg. All right, let's get this out of the way, Chad. Uh, I was a little nervous about this because this is such a favorite film of mine, and n- not knowing whether you would how you would respond to it because you've never you've never seen it before. I hadn't. First, first of all, just in general, how do you think the film held up from 1992? It worked very well. I really enjoyed it. So you you thought it was a good film? I did. I do. Good, 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 good. Uh, I I this is the thing, like. You know, it, I don't think it would fly with today's audience. Uh, just I think they're expecting more explosions and, and, and boom. And, and, you know, there would have had to been like they would have. I think they would have had to include a scene like where he actually does the shooting over the fence line in Cuba. Uh, uh-huh. And I think there would have had to been some sort of chase scene with uh, I'm just trying to think how they would modernize it. A chase scene with uh, Colonel Markinson. Um, you know, where where they have to chase him down or something. I'm just trying to think of how they would 
make modern audiences like this film and everyone everything that i can think of that they would do to this film nowadays would ruin it completely and totally <laughs> this film is drama pure and simple and i love it so much uh, I loved it. I mean, uh, I mentioned that uh, I, I'm a relatively new Tom Cruise fan, and uh, this was the first film I've seen of his that wasn't action oriented. Right. It was a, a nice sort of transition into um, his more dramatic chops. Yeah, and and he does it really well. It's like, why, I mean, I know Tom Cruise is known kind of as this action star now, but why can't you utilize him more in roles like this? He was brilliant here. I don't, I don't he know was. if he can still pull that off, but he certainly did here. Yeah, uh, something I've always garnered from Tom Cruise is that he has just this inherent likability sort of about him. I mean, oh, yeah, Scientology aside, but on, on screen, he it's just hard to not like him. He has on-screen and, um, charisma. He does. And so as a lawyer, I mean, that, that's like full-on likability. I mean, it, it just it it works really well for him here. Yeah, but you see, when I think of a lawyer, see, I think we might be coming from two different areas because when I think of a lawyer, I certainly don't think of a Tom Cruise likable kind of character. I think, ew, slimy, nasty, you know, I can wiggle out of anything. I can me with my words kind of a guy. And Tom Cruise is not that, but he definitely right. has an attractive force of nature about him. Just, you know, the general Tom Cruise draw anytime he's on screen is certainly exuded here in spades. Right, um, I just meant that... Um in his likability, he's able to convince us, and he's able to convince the jury um, in, in that sort of lawyer-esque way, but it's it's not the typical lawyer sort of scenario that we're familiar with. Yeah, I mean, this is really kind of a coming-of-age film for Tom Cruise, I think, and, and for not only just for his character, but even for him as an actor, I think. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I know he was in Top Gun before that, and he played kind of that young uh, oh, I hate that movie. <laughs> um, but 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 here it's, it's almost like a transitional thing. Like you know, he's he's that kid. He's fresh out of college. He's wet behind the ears. He hasn't been in the navy long, and he hasn't practiced law much. And he's only done this plea bargaining thing. And he's really strong armed by Galloway into right. defending these men in court. Uh, you know, she really appeals to his better nature, if you will. And, uh -huh. and, and he's yeah. Go ahead. He's also got his father's reputation to live up to. Oh, yeah. It's a huge aspect. Like, you know, that weight of living up to your father's, um, you know, expectations in the same field of work that he was in. I, I remember when I used to shoe horses. Yes, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this in the podcast before. My dad is a farrier. He shoes horses for a living. Uh, or he did. He's actually uh, he's been a truck driver at different times in his life, too, and he's doing that again now. But uh, he was an excellent farrier. He could he could do things with a hoof. Even I never could achieve uh, but, I, I, you know, I followed in his stead for a while, and I, I, you know, there was always that aspect of living in my father's shadow, even for a period of time when his he had injured his back and couldn't shoe for a while, and I completely took over the business for several months. And, you know, it's, it's that thing where the customers are like, well, you do pretty good. I can't wait till your dad's better, you know, that sort of thing. And this <laughs> right. is, you know, this is the sort of thing he's living up, and especially since his father is dead, he's living up to this shadow of his looming shadow of his father, you know. And, uh, right. you know, even when he goes to visit Jessup and starts to investigate this thing and, and, and pull his case together, you know, Jessup's like, yeah, your dad did this and this and this and this. Now oh, that's so, so great. And you're such, you know, it's cool that you're a son. How is the old man, by the way? You know, it's, oh, he's dead. <laughs> you know, and, it, right. and it's just this looming shadow over everything. Uh, so, right. yeah, it's, it's it's a great coming of age film. I mean, just that that whole aspect has such a great appeal too. So I agree. Yeah. Uh, it, this film, I, I mean, obviously, I think the main driving force behind this film, and I, I was actually, before we started the podcast, I was reading several different reviews, both negative and positive of the film, although the negative ones are a little harder to find. But you've got this thing like where, uh, oh, the film has these ideals that it tries to present as bigger than they are or whatever. And I, didn't, I never felt that at all. Like this film deals with issues that really kind of need to be dealt with that are relevant for any any time of any period of time in in, in, our, in our country, anyway, I think are are always relevant. Uh, issues right. of abuse of power and questioning the status quo, and and you know the 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 elite elitist nature of of some of these higher ups in in the army, and you know, I mean, I, I feel like it deals with these questions really well. It doesn't. I mean, it never says that the navy or is not are not don't have good guys in them, and it's not necessary. But it's like let's question some of these things here. Right. Yeah. 
And and I think an important concept that's sort of uh, addressed in one of Tom Cruise's final quotes is just um, whether the code you live by is – I'm trying to think of exactly how to phrase this. You don't have to live by a label to live to a code. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a great – that was a great uh, kind of a, a way to end the film. I, I really love just – most aspects of this film, and the ending is also one of my favorite things, but we'll we'll, we'll get to that uh, shortly. Uh, one final general thought I had is, uh, can you believe Demi Moore was once attractive? <laughs> <laughs> TJ. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's weird because, like, I, I've never seen another Demi Moore film, but I was, I was do, as in some of my research before we started the podcast, I was uh, looking up something about Demi Moore, and I saw this picture, and I'm like, what on earth? That's not Demi Moore. And sure enough, it was, but it's just like... <laughs> I don't know. Right. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to say that. <clears throat> put a marker. We'll cut that. Maybe we'll put that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Do you have any other uh, opening statements, if you will, before we proceed? Um, give me just a second. Um, Shuffling. I love papers. a good courtroom. I love a good courtroom drama. Um, sure. I think the the prime example of courtroom drama is, of course, To Kill a Mockingbird, starring Gregory Peck. Um, yes, absolutely. And, I, and the book is so much better than the film, too. Oh, yes. But, I mean, the the film has its place, of absolutely, course. Absolutely, yes. The film is uh, actually pretty good. It is. Uh, I actually have it on Blu-ray. I haven't watched it since I got it on Blu-ray, so I need, I need to do that soon. Um, but uh, just prefacing that, I, I thought that – I don't know if I expected that. Uh, I didn't know anything about this film going into it. I, I just knew Tom Cruise was in it. I knew Jack Nicholson was in it. Uh, it turns out I knew the main quote, but I didn't know it was from this film. Um, oh, you can't handle the truth? Right. You I, didn't I, know I, it was from this film? I, I wasn't sure. I, 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 I've seen some of Jack Nicholson's older stuff. I've seen one or two of his newer stuff, but I haven't seen a lot of things in between. And this sort of falls into that category. And um, so, I mean, I, I knew it was a Jack Nicholson quote. I just was not sure which film. You want answers? I want the truth. You, you can't can handle, handle the truth. The truth. Yeah, uh, such a great, yeah. I mean, such it, great it, stuff. It, it was just a sort of nice surprise for me that I was watching a film. You know, it opens with this great military salute, this great oh, yeah. sort of drill um uh, drill sequence and it's yeah. awesome which and by the you, way i yeah i love that sequence but I, that's another part of the film i don't think would fly by today's audience i think that everybody would have left the theater before that was over and i loved it yeah it, it, it's just a, a great sort of opening and it almost it's it's setting up the fact that this is at a military base and that it's a, a military based film and you're I, I was sort of settling into my chair um you know oh, this is just going to be another action movie I, I i can prepare myself for this not a big deal and then the whole thing takes place in a research setting or a courtroom setting and it, mm-hmm. it's just a sort of nice um it was a nice surprise for me and i i really enjoyed it for that yeah absolutely all right, well, let's talk about some things that we like about this. Although even my general outline thoughts, kind of you know, opening statements were really things that I liked, um, except right. for the, the disparaging comment of Demi Moore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that opening drill sequence is absolutely uh, just mesmerizing and a great way to open this film, and I, I love it. Just it's 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 awesome. Um, I love that this film is really engaging and enthralling but it doesn't need the the big action cgi you know every moment is an you know has to be moving in some manner i mean everything from the camera work to the pacing i mean it's just it's paced so uh exquisitely and and yet it's not very fast and you know I, i love it I think a lot of that is to Aaron Sorkin's credit. Um, the, I'm not super familiar with his work, but I did enjoy both The Social Network and Moneyball. And in both of those films, he does dialogue really well. And that's shown here as well. Yeah, that's what um, I've heard, that he does really great dialogue. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know that people have directly compared him to Joss Whedon, but I mean, I think that I've heard that comparison made loosely, that like Joss Whedon has his way of writing great dialogue, and Aaron Sorkin also has a way of writing just really good and engaging dialogue. And and right. not not only in just, yeah, the, the dialogue is serviceable and it, it services the story, but but even just in the wittiness of some of the – and I can't even think of anything that comes to mind, but you know, there's wittiness between Tom Cruise and Demi Moore. And I mean sure, Tom Cruise, he, he kind of lends himself to that thing, but he didn't come up with all that on his own. You know, right. Aaron Sorkin wrote that stuff. So right. yeah, it, it was really uh, good. I think this is a film that 
while the the actual like visible star power is something to speak of the star power sort of behind the scenes with both Rob Reiner at the helm and Aaron Sorkin at the pen uh, uh, also speaks a lot for this film. Yep. And um, I, I wrote the same thing that you just mentioned in my notes uh, where it, the, the, the less reliance on action to drive the story was refreshing. And instead it relied on good storytelling good relationships between characters and uh, the occasional appropriate good humor. Yeah. And, and actually plenty of humor as I rewatched the film, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's pretty funny. I remember that, you know? Um, and, and, and just the general, I, I really love like, like this is this kind of a good segue. Uh, this is one of the best, I, I think it's the best acting that Tom Cruise has ever turned in. You're, you're going to quibble with that a little, but I cannot think of a film in which I've seen a better performance from Tom Cruise. And, and, you know, part of that is just the way in which he nonchalantly goes about his business. And, you know, of course, even in some cases where he's trying to, uh, to exude that nonchalantness and he's trying to segue into something without them knowing it. And, you know, Galloway gets in the way, uh, but, right. <laughs> but he has that way of like, oh yeah, it's all cool. No, no, no big deal. It's just, it's just oh, by the way, uh, what about that transfer order? I, I need a copy of that, you know, that sort of thing. And that's exactly where Joanne Galloway was just completely getting in his way, <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, that's just such a nuanced performance and uh, more nuanced than you've normally seen, I think, from Tom Cruise. I think so, too. I mean, um, I, I did mention in our notes here that um, while I do think that Tom Cruise is excellent here, I, I will not argue with you there. Um, I personally preferred his performance in Oblivion, but I think I just I, I, I communicated with y'all when you did the Oblivion podcast before I was actually on the show. Oh, was that before your um, time? I, I have a hard time it, keeping it was. the time frame um, straight. I listened to that episode live when you and Joe recorded it, and I communicated in the chat room. Oh, yeah. Um, and um, I, I loved Oblivion. Um, I, I actually gave it a five-star rating. It's not a perfect film, but I, I just loved the film, the, the themes in that film, and I loved Tom Cruise's performance in that film. And um, it's it's just probably the best acting I've ever seen from him, uh, in my opinion. Okay. Um, but that, that's not to his discredit here. Yeah. I mean, I can see how you would say that, I guess. Uh, I, I thought Oblivion was fine. Uh, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong. I think I gave it four stars. Yeah. You gave it four, I think four, four and a half. I don't think it was four and a half. No, but... four and a half is a pretty special place for me. <laughs> I mean, it, it takes a lot to get on my four and a half star rating. So, so four right. stars for me is not, is, is actually it's not like super high praise, but it's, it's high enough praise. Right. So, um, I, I love that this film of obviously I've kind of alluded to this. It's, it's, it carries values, you know, honor, good and evil commitment, ethics, you know, service to God. And then the whole idea, you know, uh, Kendrick is really exudes this attitude of using God as a crutch to do the morally questionable things. These are the sorts of things that I alluded to earlier where I said that this film deals with these things and it uh -huh. does so in a way I'm not saying there's not a time and a place to be offensive in, in the way you deal with things and, and, and putting forth your opinion if you're going to make a, an opinion movie. But I think this film is is powerful and that it deals with things in a way that it really doesn't matter what side of the political aisle you're on. It doesn't matter kind of what your core convictions or, or, or base morality is here. There's it, it does. It's a pretty compelling, I think, in the way that it handles these things. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think in, in the reference to the service to God, it's just it, it's a good exercise in perspective, and not everybody looks at things the same way that you do, or the same way another person would. And so, sort of getting into these people's heads and trying to understand the way they're approaching things, it, it's interesting to me. Um, so, where Kendrick thinks that he was doing a service to God or that it was his duty to do whatever he did in this film. Um, I, I, I could personally say, no, I disagree. That is against what God says. Yeah. And it, it's just this really interesting perspective shift. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and speaking of Kendrick, I mean, I think Nicholson is, is, uh, I haven't, I haven't actually seen Nicholson in, in a lot of things. In fact, I'm trying to remember, I, I know I've seen him in something. I cannot bring the movie directly to mind, whatever it was. Uh, but he's just the perfect slimy guy. It seems like he tends to play slimy guys, <laughs> but he's the <Right>. perfect <laughs> slimy guy to play Jessup. And, and man, he really nails that performance. Um, and, and much as I love Tom Cruise's performance in this film, 
and even though you might say, well, Nicholson didn't get a lot of screen time, I think his contribution to this film really made the film what it was. Yeah, you know, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go, go, go. Go ahead. I think that this is comparable to almost Silence of the Lambs with Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins, where Anthony Hopkins was what on screen for 12 minutes and he won Best Actor at the Academy Awards. Yes. Um, And uh, Nicholson has a little bit more screen time than that here, but that his performance is just about on the same par. I mean, he was nominated for uh, Best Supporting Actor for his role here. And... um, it's it's very good. I, I I agree completely that he plays slimy very well and he plays crazy very well. Yeah. Um, he eats breakfast and, 300 yards away from 4,000 Cubans. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. And uh, he he just, I mean, that, that delivery of the line, you can't handle the truth, is classic. And that whole speech is just, it's got you almost on the edge of your seat. I mean, where, what is he going to say? Where is this going? Um, is, is he about to give it away or isn't he? And and you can, yeah, you can really see where that could easily devolve into parody. And yet this, he nails it. Like he really, you really believe, man, this is what this guy believes. It's not a parody. This is, this is how Jessup really is thinking here. I mean, that self-justified, self-righteous, elitist mindset is completely, normal to him like that's just the way he thinks that's the way he is he really nails that yes and i think that's one of jack nicholson's greatest strengths i mean he plays slimy well he plays crazy well but every single time i see him on screen it's believable and it's it's incredible that he is able to pull that off i mean in the shining when his character devolves over the course of the movie um it's it's almost heartbreaking in the sense of how believable it is and um I'm not going to spoil that here because I know you have not seen it. No, and I want to. Um, I'm going to, so don't spoil it. Right. And and you need to see One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest as well, which is one of the, the great films out there. It, it won both best, actor, both best Actress, Best Actor, Best Picture, Best Director. It's one of those films. And so, I mean, if you can see both of those, it would uh, only enhance your love of film and your love of Jack Nicholson for sure. You hear me typing? I do. That is me adding One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest to my movies to watch list. In Good men. Yes. And just on a quick side note, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest also has Danny DeVito in his first film role. Oh, nice. It has um, the guy who plays Grima Wormtongue in... Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I can't remember the actor's name at the moment, but uh, Grima Wormtongue in Lord of the Rings. Um, it, it's a great film. You should see it. That is uh, Brad Dorif. Yes, Brad Dourif. Dourif. Thank you. Yes. Uh, Google is so great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and of course, speaking of Jack Nicholson's character, I mean, isn't it ironic that he's, you know, his character is talking about, you know, you follow orders or people die. You follow right. orders or someone's going to die. And yet his very, like, like he violated the orders that he received in issuing the Code Red. You know, which right. his orders, his standing orders were no more code reds. Those are wicked and evil and they're torture to these men. You, you colonels may not, you know, you commanders may not issue code reds. And you may not have your other men punishing the other men in this manner. And that's, he's right. violating this order and he's, you know, pontificating about you follow orders or people are going to die, you know. Yeah, and I, I think that's to Tom Cruise's character's credit, um, where he's able to sort of twist Jack Nicholson's character into revealing exactly what he wants. Uh, yeah. uh, and I yeah, think that's although, what's great about courtroom dramas. Yeah, it's not it's not without it. I mean, you got the judge going, consider yourself in contempt, and he keeps going because he knows he's going to get it, although we're not sure he's going to get it. <laughs> you know? Right. We're sitting there going, hmm. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's really, yeah, <laughs> I really enjoy that court. I mean, that scene probably, even though it's the pivotal scene, you know, it probably takes place over 10 minutes, but that's, you know, obviously where this whole film is leading up to. So, yes, I think the entire courtroom sequence, um, is just fascinating. I, I love getting sort of into the heads of this and try, we know what happened. It's interesting getting into, uh, Kathy's head and, him trying to reveal to the jury and to the rest of the courtroom what happened and the way he goes about that and the way he, I don't want to say twists words because that's not necessarily the case here, but the way he sort of pokes people in just the right places to get them to reveal just what he needs to them to, and to contradict just the details that he needs to. It's just, it's, it's awesome. 
watching that that um, progress. Yeah, my, my favorite courtroom sequence may be uh, my second favorite because my favorite obviously is the climax. But my my second favorite may be that part where um, he, you know, Kevin Bacon walks up there and says, "Can you turn to the man the part in the manual where it says, you know, uh, what 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 to do during a code, you know, for a code red?" And it, well, well, no, I mean it's just a, you know. And and he he kind of you know brings this whole thing out and you're like oh man that that was devastating to to the argument and then you know he does the counter uh, uh, questioning again where he you know Tom Cruise comes up and he says can you turn to the part in the manual where it tells you how to get to the officer's mess you know well no I right mean, I guess I, I that's not in the manual sir I guess I just followed the other officers at chow time you know right uh, it's so, so great I mean I just love that that that's that's like the, my favorite second favorite sequence yes. So. You know, the, the other thing about this film, it's it's like uh, almost two and a quarter hours long, but it doesn't feel that long. Uh, I mean, so this is another, uh, you know, I, I generally throw out the two-hour thing of films longer than two hours. You're, it's likely to be too long, and that's just a general statement. This film does not feel a second too long. No, I agree. Yeah. It, especially, I mean, watching it for the first time, not knowing what was happening, not knowing where it was going. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, the length was not an issue for me at all. And I, I mean, heck, I was watching it on my iPad because my computer was having problems. You what? Um, I propped it up. So it was. No, you, you, you ruined the experience. Oh, my. Oh, man. I'm, I'm sorry, TJ. It the was world my has only ended. <laughs> uh, all right, continue. Um, um, I'll try not to judge. <laughs> I'm feeling uh, judge. My- I'm feeling judgy right now. <laughs> Even on my iPad, it was a good experience and it was not too long. I did not feel like, oh man, I'm just watching this on this tiny screen um, and it's still going and it's still going. And half an hour later, it's still going. And I never felt that, like that was the case. I was always good. engaged. Good. Still feeling judgy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I My favorite thing about this film, I mean, because even with a, such a great film, if it didn't end well... If it didn't have the right ending, then it wouldn't be a good film, right? And and this film right. ends on exactly the note it needed to end on. You know, I, I, I've written here, Sorkin, he didn't feel the need to completely justify and venerate the actions of the young men who were on trial that, that performed the Code Red that 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 led to the death of, of, uh, of Santi- uh, what was it, Santiago? Is that right? Yes, yeah. I think so. I don't know why my brain is, is uh, failing me here. Um <laughs> And and he didn't need to venerate their actions. He didn't need to justify them. And and ultimately, they were dishonorably discharged. Even though the the counts of murder and, and you know I, I think there were like seventeen counts and all of them were dropped except for conduct unbecoming to a marine. And it's because right. they they have brains that it's not reasonable to expect men to question every single order they get and make sure it's moral. Like you can't question every order. But this was a pretty big deal, right? I mean, right, it the is. Common morality should have told them. This is not – you should not be doing this to this other man. And and the dishonorable discharge is appropriate, but also, you know, I love the respect that is shown, you know, you know, Ten Hut, there's an officer on deck, you know, to Tom Cruise, who's – this is where this growing up thing, the, the coming of age part of the movie comes into play. I mean you've really seen the transformation of Caffey over the two and a quarter hours. And right. uh, it, it really ends on just the perfect note that, you know, again, if you were if you were making this film today, there would have to have been some sort of romance that while they hinted at it here, they never really delved into it. If it were today, they would have had, you know, Tom Cruise and 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 uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, Demi, Demi Moore, Moore would have had to have kissed and, you know, probably slept together and it would have been this whole romance thing. Right. And they, they, they didn't need that. You know, you know, uh, I, I see where you're going with that, TJ. I, I think you need to give today's audience just a little bit more credit because, like I said, Aaron Sorkin is known for both the Social Network and Moneyball. And while Moneyball or Social Network did have a little bit of that romance stuff, uh, Moneyball didn't so much. And, okay. I'm, I'm um, not saying it can't happen today. I'm just saying in general, movie audiences want the, the stuff that just tends to not to make the film as good. Right. I, I'm just saying that Sorkin does these kinds of films very well, and they've been shown to be still successful in uh, as recent as 2010, 2011, both of those films. And both of those films also end in the same sort of manner where the main character was not necessarily entirely successful in his um, objective. And it's okay because you feel like you've still gone somewhere with them. They've still accomplished something 
maybe not to the full extent that they wanted or the the full extent that you wanted, but it, it's still uh, th- they have journeyed. They, they've they've taken a journey from beginning of the film to end of the film, and that is the case here as well. And it's very well done. And Aaron Sorkin's a great writer. Yeah, I agree. Well, I've run out of likes on my list. Do you have any more things that you liked about this film? Um, I I have one other comment, but I'll save it for like the very end. And so okay. I'm 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 good. All right. Well, let's talk about things that you might not have liked. Go okay. Ahead. Um. I don't have a lot to dislike. Um, like, like I said, I, I, I enjoyed this film quite a bit. Um, if I had to mention two very, very, very minor things, so don't judge me too much on these. Um, uh, the humor in one or two points almost seemed like it was forced. Like they were trying to establish Tom Cruise's character as the sort of I don't want to say happy-go-lucky, but um, he was a little bit more nonchalant in his uh, goings-on, and um, that that was his personality. And they established that very well, but then I think they took one or two jokes um, past that where they weren't necessary, and they felt like they were there just for the laughs, and they didn't serve any other further purpose than that. And so um, they they felt a little strange, a little out of place, a little forced – but it it didn't bother me too much. It's just in retrospect, I thought, you know, they could have done without saying that. I already know what kind of character this is. It's not a big deal. I suppose. I mean, I really felt like all the humor worked really well, so I, I didn't have that complaint. And I'm not going to argue it too much with you. I just didn't feel that at all. Yeah, it was it was very early in the film when I felt that. It was like in the very beginning sequences when there was that little conflict between Demi Moore and Tom Cruise. And they, they had conflicted with each other once or twice, and it worked really, really well. And then they did it once or twice more, and it didn't work as well for me. Um, but th- that's it. You got authorization from Aunt Jenny? <laughs> 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 yeah, it's pretty good. Um <clears throat> So, yeah, I'm saying I don't have that complaint with the film. I thought it was all perfectly appropriate. My, I think probably my major complaint with this film is that Kevin Polak, who played Lieutenant Weinberg, he doesn't really feel like his heart's in the role. He feels like he's kind of phoning it in. He, You know, he doesn't really turn right. in a great performance. I, I I didn't write that down, but looking back at it and considering your comment, I, I, I can agree with that. Um, he did just feel sort of there every yeah. once in a while. And I think, like, the character's supposed to be under-key and, and, and lo- low-key, I should say. <laughs> low-key and underplayed. I was going to say, what was I going to say? This isn't say? Thor, TJ. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Hiddleston is not in this film. Yeah, but it, 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 he felt very, um, you know, low-key and uh, underplayed. And, and I think that the character's supposed to be that. But I think that he went, like, just almost lackadaisical. Like, take it too far. Just... Yeah. And it worked really well a couple of times, you know, like when he's telling, you know, this that really heartbreaking scene where, uh, you know, Tom Cruise is drinking himself under the couch and he's, don't do this to yourself, man. When he's reminiscing about his dad, you think my dad would, you know, I think he would have been really proud if I had done, the, you know, this thing. And, and, and you know, it, it worked really well there, but that's about the only place where his understated performance, understated, that's the word I was looking for. It, it worked really well, you know, it's the only place I think where it really worked well is what I'm trying to say. Right. Um, I, I think he sort of portrayed the skepticism of the character just uh, pretty well in one or two scenes. But I definitely agree with what you're saying, where sometimes he just felt like he was on screen for the paycheck. Yeah. Oh, there was one other scene that worked really well. Uh, you, you know what I'm talking about. I don't think I can quote it, but it's the one where uh, they're walking out of the courtroom uh, um, and uh, – he talks about how they're 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 just bullies, they're, and they they kill a guy because he couldn't run very fast. That's why I don't like him. Right. That was really good. But other than you know, those two things that I've mentioned are really the only things that can recommend him, which is a little little frustrating to me. So ultimately, that 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 it doesn't ruin the movie. Just not ever so slightly like brings it down. It's like you know, want him to be better. <laughs> yeah. Want him to be better. So. uh and my my other complaint is the film is not a mystery film, but I felt like in in some ways the, the screenplay could have benefited from withholding some information from us. And basically they spelled everything out. Uh, it, it would have benefited, I think, though, from withholding kind of what happened here and there. Like like they really just kind of went back and 
And, you know, immediately after we find out about the case and, you know, there was that just that little bit of tension and drama at the beginning where they enter the room and tie up Santiago and stuff the rag in his mouth. And then you cut, you know, to that really cool opening sequence. But then we go back and we tell the story and we already see that um, that Jessup has given the order. We see his attitude about this. And so we already know that these men are not guilty. And I think. We're kind of holding that back and reserving it until he screams out, you bet I gave that order. I think that would have benefited the screenplay. Yeah, um, I don't disagree. I don't. I mean, exactly. I, I know I'm armchair quarterbacking here, but, you know, <laughs> I mean, right, right, it's right, easy right, for right. me to say in retrospect of a 1992 film. But, you know. Yeah, I, I do understand what you're saying, and I understand what you're where you're coming from. I think that if a little bit more had been kept uh, withheld from the audience, and it had been just as much a surprise for us as it had been for the rest of the courtroom and for the judge, um, that it could have added a little bit to the film. But in the same sense, I do think that us having the information and the other characters not having the information brought almost that same sort of suspense where we knew that uh, Kathy was right and that he was pursuing this the way he should. Um, But the judge didn't. And we knew that if the judge didn't believe him and if the jury didn't believe him, then, then it was not going to end well for him because he just accused a a military officer, a Marine officer of uh, this, this crime. Which and, by the way, that whole, that philosophy is so messed up. My wife and I were talking about this after we watched them. We watched a movie together and, and we were talking about this after the movie uh, a couple nights ago. And it's like, wh- why can you, I mean, you should be able to bring an accusation. I mean, they're just human beings. I mean, I know that there's some respect accorded to their thing, but you should be able to at least bring forward that, you know what, here's what's going on without fear of ruining your own career. I mean, that's just messed up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I, I, I can see both sides of the equation here. I think that if the information had been held, withheld from us, we would have sort of been placed in the seats of that courtroom where we didn't know what was happening and where Tom Cruise's character was going with this. Um, and the, that would have made the reveal so much more sweet. But in the same sense, in the same token, I think that us knowing the information and them not knowing the information and knowing that they have to get to that information and to that same conclusion um, in order for it to end well for Tom Cruise, um, then it brought that same level of suspense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can see where you're coming from, too. And, and, and ultimately, I mean, I'm, I'm going to rate this film pretty highly, so they're not like major, like, ooh, terrible, ruin the movie kind of things. They're just like, eh, you know, would have benefited from these couple of things. So, right. Uh, what, what else have you got before we uh, before we wrap it up? You know, I think that's pretty much it. All right. Well, uh, what do you think of this film? How do you rate it? I'm giving it four, and a, uh, four out of five stars. And that's not because I have a lot against it. It's not because um, I thought that it had a lot of mistakes, but I, I, I really enjoyed it. I did not think it was perfect. Um, but for what it was and for when it was made and for who it stars, I think it was a very good film. And um, I would definitely watch it again and recommend it to people. Yeah. I would say that this film is easily, certainly in my top 10, maybe in my top five. I've never made, I've never compiled this list. Someday uh-huh. I might, but it's so hard to compile a list like that, but easily in my top 10, probably in my top five. I give it four and a half out of five stars. I mean, this is a really, really good film. I mean, and, and I saw it like early when I really started getting into films. So it was kind of pivotal pivotal for me as well in that way in shaping kind of how I feel about films in general. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm thinking I might've seen this film before I got married and that's really right when I started getting into to films and filmmaking and, and, and in general. So this, this film, I, I realized that because it's one of the first films that I really started looking at films in a different way that maybe there's a special place for it, but I think it's just a really good film. Right. So, um, you know, this is a statement I was going to uh, save. I think I was destined to just really like this film because it's got Tom Cruise, who I've recently started really enjoying. It's got Jack Nicholson, who's one of my favorite actors. It's uh, written by Aaron Sorkin, who wrote The Social Network, which I love. And I love Moneyball as well. And then it was directed by Rob Reiner, who directed The Princess Bride, which is another one of my favorite films. And so, I mean, all all of these together... 
just made something that was really enjoyable yeah. for me to watch from start to finish. And uh, so thank you, TJ, for introducing me to this film. Well, it was my pleasure. And I hope uh, I hope you guys listening to this podcast, I hope you enjoyed us talking about it. Uh, I hope you've seen it before. It's a 1992 film. So because we didn't even <laughs> we did not reserve anything like there was no point at which we even said, oh, this might be a spoiler because it's been out for years. So. <laughs> I was um, born in 1992. Were you really? Wow, I feel, I was. I feel so old. <laughs> you are 10 years younger than me. Wow. I was born in 1982. Good old 80s. Yeah. I, I, I managed, because I was so young in the 80s, I managed to avoid the bad hairstyles and the and the, the mullets and, <laughs> and the bad music and stuff. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, yeah, so I would have been 10 when this film came out. I didn't, I certainly did not see it. I mean, it is an R-rated film and there's a lot of language. Oh, that was another point. I'm glad you, I'm glad I thought of this. Just real quick to kind of wrap things up. Um this film, I mean, because it does have very strong language in it, but this is kind of one of the, the films I like to bring up when we're talking about language and films and, and, and things and should you watch film. This is obviously from a very Christian, Christian home perspective kind of thing. And I would not – here's the thing. I would not let my seven-year-old son watch this film. I hope right. to introduce it to him someday as a great film, but not now. But I still think – I'm not saying that this film shouldn't have been made with this kind of language because here's the question. When you're making a drama, especially one based on real life or that you want to be taken realistically, this is the way Marines talk. This is the way sailors talk. This is the way they talk in the Navy. Would you have believed it if they hadn't? And that's an argument I always love to make with people who are against strong language in films. And obviously I'm, I have a lot of you know strongly I'm, – I'm a Christian. I have a lot of strongly Christian friends who are very conservative in those ways. So right. uh, I, I always make that – and I use this film as kind of that way to make that argument. So, Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, all right, so just real quick, we were on the ratings. I give it four and a half out of five. IMDb makes it 7.6 or the users give it 7.6 out of 10. And Rotten Tomatoes, the critics give it 81%. The general audiences give it 89%. So all in all, not bad. I mean, I've, I've seen better ratings from films this good. I don't know why the, it's only 81%, but I certainly it's, loved it. It may not have a lot. How many reviews is that based on, TJ? Actually, because it, not, since not, this is an older film, it might have been it, – it predates Rotten Tomatoes. That's true. So it may not be a lot. That's true. Although I did notice that Roger Ebert didn't like the film, interestingly. Really? I, I looked up his review, and he was not a big fan. Uh, anyway, yeah, it, it was only based on, I think like 40 critic reviews. So, um, yeah. you know, but man, if you haven't seen this film, what in the world is wrong with you? Go watch this film. <laughs> a great, great film. Great, great film. Uh, I can't, can't praise it highly enough. I've got to say TJ, it does my heart good to see you rate a film so high. Yeah. I mean, I, I it's, it's rare for me to get up in four and a half star territory, isn't it? Uh, lately, if, especially, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm looking. I'm, I'm actually looking on Letterboxd here, where I try to keep. I've been trying to keep it up. I was I was lax for several months, but I went and caught it up. Uh, I don't know, Chad. Uh, Thor: The Dark World four stars. Ender's Game three and a half. Escape Plan three and a half. Captain Phillips four. Gravity four it, and a half. Uh, Prisoners four. The Way Way Back four. Uh, so come on, man. Don't, don't be so hard on me. Uh, Steve Jobs. It's, cer- three it's and certainly half. gotten better. Recently, there recently there was there was certainly a glut like Pitch Black one star, <laughs> Closed Circuit yeah. two and a half, Mortal Instruments one, uh, Elysium two, Two Guns two, uh, yes yeah, so, I mean there was certainly a kind of a, a glut of bad films. Our Fifth Estate was of course two, but I feel like I mean looking at my star ratings, I feel like it's fairly balanced. Yeah, you, you you're just you're predisposed to remember the ones I don't like. I think and and go oh there's another one TJ doesn't like. <laughs> I I just like to give you a hard time TJ. Oh, that's fine. You can do that. Whippersnapper you. <laughs> All right. Well, next week we're going to be talking about The Hunger Games Catching Fire. Uh, it doesn't matter as much since we're not broadcasting live anymore for now, but we haven't nailed down exactly when we're going to do this. Um, I, I realize next week is Thanksgiving week, and when you said that you were not going to be available a- after Tuesday, I thought, oh, well, I'm probably not either. Uh I probably, you know, and I, I don't know. I know uh, Joe has uh, mentioned interest in talking about this one. I know uh, Fizz, Fizz has as well. I don't know if either of them are going to be able to join us or not yet. Um, right. I'm hoping some sometime soon to get uh, Clark Douglas back on the show, but I have I've sent him emails and stuff, and he hasn't responded. I guess he doesn't like me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> what episodes has he been he be on? He been on? Sorry. I think he's only been on two. Let me uh, let me look. I have this really cool page on MovieByte.com uh, called People. So MovieByte.com oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. slash People. And here he is, Clark Douglas. Oh, he's been on three. Uh, oh, that's right. He filled in for me uh, in April uh, when I had a very traumatic life event uh, happen. Uh, so he was on uh, episode 14 of the Movie Bite podcast. Um, let me see what the uh, subject of that one was about. Uh, that was Argo. He filled in for Joe, and we talked about Argo. 
Uh, I listened and, to that episode. And then episode 23 in A Starship Lived a Hobbit, where we had four of us talking about The Hobbit. And then he filled in for me, and he talked with Joe in general about Pixar. Okay, I've I've listened to all those episodes, so I know who you're talking about now. Yeah, I'll put all those in the show notes in case you are new to the podcast and haven't heard those. He's he's really good. I like him, and hopefully someday. But and I just mentioned that because I want to get him back on sometime. Uh, but anyway, yeah. so next week, uh, Hunger Games, uh, we will be talking about. I'll be seeing it uh, tomorrow sometime, and uh, I'm looking forward to it a lot. And hopefully, it'll be at least you and me, and I'm hoping at least Fizz. I, I don't know if Joe's going to be able to join us. He he's only mentioned it in passing on chat. He didn't even mention it in Trello, so I don't know, but. I know Fizz mentioned right. it on Trello, so hopefully he'll be with us. We'll see. We'll have to see. Yeah. Un- unplanned, uncharted territory. <laughs> All right, well, if you want to find show notes for this episode uh, that I just mentioned a minute ago, you will find those at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 69. That's where all the links for all the stuff that we talked about, the articles we mentioned at the beginning. You'll find uh, you know links to the Rotten Tomatoes and Box Office Mojo thing in there. Uh, so you, that's where you'll find that. And you can also listen online there as well. Uh, if you want to, uh, follow Chad on, uh, Twitter and, and stuff like that, uh, I'm sure he's available there. Why don't you tell us about that, Chad? Okay. On Twitter, I am at twitter.com slash Chadadada, C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. I think that I, I, I never know saying it out loud. <laughs> you don't know your if own. If I'm doing the right one. If, if I type it, it's muscle memory, but yeah. saying it, I, I don't, yeah. Anyway. Look it up <laughs> on on Facebook. I am at facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And then, of course, my personal site is chadlikesmovies.com. Yeah, you write a lot of good stuff over there. Well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm TJ Draper Pro because somebody's squatting on my preferred username of TJ Draper. So TJ Draper Pro, don't forget the pro part. Uh, it's real. Find me on Twitter. <laughs> love love to have you follow me so that I can uh, annoy you with my opinions. Um, you can keep up with the writing that I do. I write at least a little something every weekday on moviebyte.com. And sometimes I even get around to publishing a review. I meant to have one up of A Few Good Men and didn't get around to it. Just so busy. Uh, so yeah, you can, you can find me on moviebyte.com. I have a new podcast, a video podcast that I've been doing called a uh, bite-sized video reviews. Check that out. It's actually getting, I think it's starting to take off pretty good. Actually. Uh, people like the video format. It turns out. So moviebyte, moviebyte.com slash bite-sized is where you'll find that you'll, you can also, you can subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can subscribe to it as a podcast. You can watch it on the site. You can get it pretty much any way you want. So be sure to check that out. And, uh, I should stop cross-promoting now because it's going to annoy people. That's it for us. We're out of here. Thanks so much for tuning in. See you later, Chad. Bye.